0: Hi there, and welcome to the podcast, Life as a, a show intently focused on helping people find the professional pathway by exploring and unearthing the details of jobs from around the world. I'm your host, Christopher Schoenwald. It's often said that in order to solve problems, you have to wholly understand the issue at hand first. This is a seemingly obvious statement and line of reasoning. However, within this day and age, challenges we face are bountiful and usually quite nuanced. Both the identification of challenge and then the gaining of a deep seated understanding can require significant amounts of time and effort. To add, Sometimes other more glaring or publicly visible matters steal away our attention and leave lesser-known issues unchecked and allowed to rage unabatedly, simply due to our lack of bandwidth. Need an example to make sense of all this? Take our dependence on ink for all sorts of printing needs. Think about how much of that product you encounter on a daily basis, whether it's on a sheet of paper you received or a document you yourself created. Now, consider the amount of ink used in newspapers, or prints for clothing, or even tags for said clothing. The volume of that product being used around the world is heavy. The amount of ink that a single person uses and or encounters in a day is a lot. Extrapolating numbers makes this figure almost unfathomable. Yet, this is not a problem on most people's minds, despite the reality that ink is a petroleum product Made from crude oil and is most certainly not serving our environmental interests. Are there better ways to tackle this issue? Should we care about this issue? You betcha. Our guest today will fill us in on all of it, on why this particular issue is problematic and what opportunities are out there for us to take a step forward when it comes to working towards more sustainable and responsible models for commerce and industry. Scott Fulbright is a scientist and entrepreneur using algae to make positive impact on our environment. And Scott is the CEO and co-founder at Living Ink Technologies, a biomaterials company turning waste algae into sustainable pigments and inks. He was born and raised in Michigan, but spent summers in California with his grandparents. His grandfather taught him to sail in his early years in Long Beach, California. And this led him to become a lifelong sailor, and more importantly, a sailing instructor on Catalina Island, California, and Block Island, Rhode Island. Being on the water made him instantly fall in love with marine biology, and resultantly, he ended up changing his major at Michigan State University from engineering to marine biology. During college, he ended up working in an ecology laboratory, studying the effects algae has on our ecosystems. After graduating, he was hired at an algae biofuels company in West Texas. After two years of turning algae into oil, he was accepted into a PhD program at Colorado State University studying cell and molecular biology. During graduate school, Scott became interested in entrepreneurship. The idea of developing a sustainable product and scaling it to make impact was extremely exciting. He skipped an MBA and co-founded Living Ink with the mission of replacing petroleum-based products with algae-based materials for a more sustainable world. Living Ink has developed a carbon-negative black pigment made from algae that replaces carbon black petroleum. His company printed hang tags for Patagonia, boxes for Adidas, and shirts for American Eagle. They even put the pigment into cosmetics packaging for beauty counters and a bioresin for an electric motorcycle called Terraform. With all that stated, Scott, it's an absolute pleasure to welcome you to the show. Thanks for having me, Christopher. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, really excited to get into all of this. Quite fascinating what you do, and I think listeners are really going to enjoy it all. So yeah, it's, it's going to be a good talk, I have a feeling. That sounds good. Why don't we get into it? The first segment is something called Coloring Wikipedia. And this is a segment where I just basically read off a definition of what the guest does and do it for a couple of reasons. One, to bring everybody up to speed. And then two, it's kind of a nice jumping off point where we can kind of look at the profession, look at the job. And sometimes there's elements within Wikipedia that they sort of underrepresent or just flat out just ignore. And I think it's always interesting to get that perspective uh, from the guests themselves. So I do have you down here for ecopreneur. And I'm just going to read that off. And while you're listening, maybe you can just consider what you do at Living in Technologies, and then I'll ask you to comment after. Sound good? Yeah, sounds great. All right, here we go. Ecopreneur. Ecopreneurs are entrepreneurs whose business efforts are not only driven by profit, but also by a concern for the environment. Ecopreneurship, also known as environmental entrepreneurship and eco-capitalism, is becoming more widespread as a new market-based approach to identifying opportunities for improving environmental quality and capitalizing upon them in the private sector for profit. There it is, a bit of a mouthful, stumbled through it a little bit, but um, yeah, what do you think within the context of what you do and your company does? I think broadly, that's
1: a good definition of kind of an entrepreneur focused on sustainable efforts. When my co-founder and I started Living Inc., that's why we did this, was just saying, like looking at the world and saying, everything's made from petroleum, you know, regardless of all the other negative issues related to petroleum, it's a finite material. And we're using it up so quickly that when people always ask me, our biomaterials, the future, they have to be because we will run out of oil. And so that's why we started Living Ink. And so I think that that definition is spot on. We've always been focused on the mission. And in the last couple of years, we've had to really kind of focus on the business model and the economics because that's what makes it work. But it's always been about making an impact. We've had numerous pivots because the first product we ever did was really creative and neat, but it wasn't making that eco impact that we really wanted to make. And so that's always been a huge driver. Mm -hmm. And I think what's nice about ecopreneurship is that times have changed even in the last six months, 12 months, right? Where all of a sudden, like this is starting to become a little bit on the normal side of like, even these huge publicly traded companies are now reporting their ESG. So their environmental metrics to their board and they're getting pressured to report that and, and improve. So I think that's been a really great thing on the ecopreneurship side is that, you know, in the next five years everyone might have to kind of be a little bit of an
0: ecopreneur. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think that's that's for me as well as one of the things that kind of gives me hope is that that grilling, what you're just saying, is that if companies aren't prepared, if they don't have answers for some of these things, some of their activities, they're going to be called out. There's, there's yeah. enough of, you know, there's enough movements that are kind of gaining steam, especially with youth too. I mean, for them, I think coming up, I mean, they just expect that. And if it's not yeah. there, that's a major, major issue. So yeah, I'm glad you brought that up.
1: You know, I think there's, just going off of that, I think what's been interesting at some of the conferences I've been at recently is they're getting this consumer pressure to do things, but they're also getting this, like, the highest level pressure, which is some of their um, investors, right? So when you have, yeah. like, BlackRock and Goldman Sachs, and they're starting to talk about this, which I don't think they did that long ago, right. all of a sudden, there's this sandwich effect. If you get got consumers saying this, and you've got your investors saying this, and actions will be made when everyone that's either paying you or investing in you is asking you to do things differently. So. I'm actually more hopeful right now than I've ever been, and I'm a, I'm a scientist by 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 training, which means I'm a skeptic. So that's right, good. Right, right, right.
0: That's saying something, then, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Well, returning to the definition, was there anything that you felt was missing? Yeah. I mean, I I think
1: that one of the other things that are, you know, I, I think I think that covers it relatively well. I, I do think the other thing that we have to think about as a society and everything that we buy or use is. Is people, you know, so the triple bottom line here. So you've got planning, got people, and we got profit. And so, in order to function and have a financially sustainable business, you got to make money. We've got to take care of the environment and make the right decisions there the best that we can. And then, you know, I also think people, and I think, you know, the environment and people kind of go hand in hand, how, how we treat people how we treat the environment around the people that are buying these products or making these products so i think there's that triple bottom line mentality is i think again becoming more and more um interesting to people and, and caring more about it
0: mm, well said well said okay in terms of living inc like how long have you guys been operating for now
1: so we started the company in 2014 actually as grad students and uh, my co-founder and I would throw out uh, bad ideas left and right all, every day and then you know after 3 years of bad ideas you get one you go oh there might be something there so yeah 2014 and had multiple pivots since then
0: okay excellent now as far as that goes i mean you've been at it for a little while what would be a typical day week or even month
1: right now it's it's a really fun time because you know when you when you have an idea no one knows about it in the world and then you know a few more people learn about it you know right now we've been launching different products there's moving in the media a little bit and so for me i do a lot of calls with brands every day other factory partners so whether that's printers or packaging groups or textile groups other uh supplier partners so by people that grow algae or or other materials so i'm talking to a lot of people all day trying to make things work trying to find those opportunities to to grow faster and bigger. Um, And then, you know, my my team at Living Ink, we're always developing new ink formulations, better understanding the, uh, the pigment that we've been developing, working with certification bodies. So there's various certifications that certain brands need that we have to kind of submit samples and have some heavy duty testing. So I always say, you know, we're still a very small company for how many kind of global brands we're working with right now. But Sometimes my co-founder will call me and say, How, how's it going? And I'll just say, it's bizarre uh, the number of things I've done today that are so different, <laughs> right, <laughs> <You know? right. laughs> which is fun for me. <laughs> yeah, and let's keep it all yeah. interesting all the same, right? It,
0: exactly. Wearing many hats, even within the same hour, let alone the same day and week. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Here's a question for you in regards to that, a bit of a follow-up. Say within the last three years or so, what would be the ratio of calls that say you'd be doing going out to say brands and trying to like, you know, get their attention and inform them and educate them and basically sell your product to them versus now where maybe some of these calls are coming, they're inbound. They've heard about you and they're coming in. How, how, has that shifted? Yeah. I mean,
1: I would say it's a great question because yeah, when, again, when you have that idea and you say, oh, I think we have a product, right? Well, how do you like let people know about that? And I, I used to like, wonder like why are marketers so important or why do they get you know historically paid so well and it's like because it's like without you know it's a very science minded person to say here's my product it's so great it's going to change the world and like no one knows about it and it doesn't go anywhere and it makes no impact. So um, to answer your question, yeah I mean probably three years ago I was going to every accelerator program I could or conference that I could talk to just to kind of get it out there and you know, right now we have one person that's just committed to like every day, like e- emailing, recording the inbound emails and responding and setting up phone calls. So yeah. that's become a full time job. And we need to hire some more people just to kind of manage all of that incoming. So it changed dramatically. And every project launch we do stimulates more and more interest and more and more validation that one, the yeah. technologies Real, we can deliver it. There's a story and it's sustainable. So yeah, it's it's really taken off in the last several months, really starting with COVID. And to be honest with you, I COVID, I think, changed the game in some of this because we were starting to talk to designers from brands that said, historically, I traveled the world to all these factories, but because there was shutdown and travel, they said I'm at home right now and I'm thinking about the future for the first time. I'm not worried about this quarter or this season. Mm. And so I kind of thought things were going to get tough there in March, 2020, April, 2020, it just took off. Like starting then, it was just off to the races with interest. So it's been awesome. It's
0: a really interesting point. Yeah. It's one that I hadn't really considered. It kind of gave, I mean, that, that period so, so unique, obviously in human history, but I mean, it gave it a pause basically on everything and a lot of reflection. Yeah. And of course, I mean, it makes sense that that reflection would have extended into the, the business and professional worlds and given people opportunities to really consider a lot of these issues and, you know, what they could do, different possibilities. And yeah, actually the way you just spelled it out, it makes sense why that would have occurred, but, uh, it's not something I would have really considered without you sort of like giving that prompt on that. So,
1: yeah. Yeah. I think people personally and professionally took on new projects that they would have never taken on without that odd time in life.
0: (laughs) Yeah. 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 Totally. All right. Well, maybe we can shift into a new segment here, a Q and a discovery and basically a back and forth. We can continue this I do have some questions lined up for you here. And the first one is pertaining to a bit more of your backstory. I mean, off the top, I kind of gave listeners a bit of an overview of where you came from as far as like that pure scientific background, academia, and working for, for companies yourself. But maybe you could kind of, you know, add a little bit more to all of this, to that story. Itself.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, it's interesting how you uh, end up where you are, whether it's ge- geographical or career-wise. And You know, I've always loved science. Uh, Like you mentioned in the opener, I love marine biology. You know, when you're on the water and you're sailing and you see dolphins and sharks and sea turtles, I mean, it's just fascinating to me how that ecosystem works. And, you know, one of the things that kind of directed me in a certain way is like, uh, I I really grew up in the middle of Michigan, right? So uh, I wanted to study marine biology, but I'm in the middle of the Midwest. Like there's no oceans. There's there's not a a lot there. It's a bit tricky, right? And so, what do you do when you study marine biology in at Michigan State? Is it's you study algae blooms, <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah. and that got me into the algae world. My first like job while I was going to school in a lab, and I just remember we were going and we were studying why the algae was growing so fast. And I remember just you know there's two moments. I remember driving home from one of the field sites that we were at, just going like like how do you turn a problem into a solution, right? This stuff's growing so fast. It must be good for something if you can domesticate it or you can control it, right? Yeah. And then the other moment I remember is I was like looking under a microscope during like a, one of the home football games. I probably should've been at the football game and I was actually under the microscope on like a Saturday night and I was just like, it was so fascinating because you'd get, you know, it's like meditation, you'd look under the microscope yeah you need to enter this microscopic world and it was like leaving the your current world that you are in and Mm. you would see like these algae cells floating around and you'd see these like like predators coming like starting to eat the cells and these other things turning like well what is all this what's What's going on going on and and I just remember like saying like someday I want to like turn this stuff into something that's valuable to society that makes the world a better place because it's just so cool. And so I would have never thought that I'd be talking about ink or packaging or textiles uh, right. with brands. But, you know, that that's the fun part of of, uh, of career paths.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. So it, it was in those moments, essentially, that the seeds of that entrepreneurial spirit were kind of like sort of forming in a sense. You're You're already sort of having visions of maybe, you know, going off on your own at some point, perhaps. Is what you're saying.
1: Yeah. Those seeds were always there. Like, I don't think I really knew it. Like I think I was saying that to myself. I, you know, after college, I, I didn't have a job lined up right away, but within, after a month, I, I, one of the people that I worked with in this algo lab got a job at a, a biofuels company and said, Hey, come down to Texas and let's grow algae and make oil for biofuels. And I said, that sounds like the best job I could ever imagine, you know, um, okay. from so many different levels. And so that was you know my dad was actually a professor at michigan state and so i grew up in this world of science in a very fortunate way where i could go into his lab and do things and i could hear about science and be around it but you know and i really respect basic science that leads to tons of breakthroughs but i just remember for me i love that applied side of science of like not just writing a paper and saying here science community read this work i've been doing but like i want to see it i want to feel it i want to like I want the general public to be able to experience what we're developing and that's always been deep in me so that first job doing biofuels said oh you can actually go raise private investment which can fuel research it doesn't have to be a government grant and you can actually try to turn it into a business to kind of do this ecopreneurship which is like fit into the capitalistic society while having a product that's sustainable so that that's that that first experience drove that home for me
0: yeah it must have just opened up everything opened that world up and just possibilities and everything exciting like it's just yeah
1: just exciting right you know science is exciting in its own way and then to go oh like you can just do this and you know and my my father my father-in-law has he has a, a business in Connecticut and his family's always been kind of entrepreneurs and I remember I was talking to him when I was younger and he's like you know you can just go start any organization you want you have an idea you can just go start an organization do that you know, and my dad being a professor was like, you know, he did that for 35 years, which is like, you get your career path and you go down there. And I right. was talking to my father and I'm like, Oh, you know, like, I didn't really ever think that you could just go do that. That seems almost impossible. And then you realize it's like very possible for anyone mm-hmm. to do it. Right, you know?
0: right, right, Not to say it's easy, but it's, it's very, very possible. Yeah, <laughs> no doubt. Okay. Okay. No, that's really interesting. All right. Well, I'd like to shift into another question here, actually. And this is something, it's kind of a continuation. I mean, we've been speaking about the algae and then you've built a life off of this, basically. And when I was researching for this, you know, I found a few blurbs on your website that were pretty interesting. I'd like to share this with listeners as well. And then maybe after I read this off, you could comment on it and maybe add some uh, context to it all here. So let me just read this here. So this is in regards to algae. At large scale production, algae black pigments are carbon negative. Algae absorb atmospheric carbon dioxide and living ink locks that carbon into the bio-based black pigment for over 100 years. Every 45 pounds or 20.4 kilograms of algae ink we produce keeps 22.5 pounds or 10.2 kilograms of petroleum crude oil from being used. And that means that 22 and a half pounds or 10.2 kilograms of oil can't negatively impact our environment or our air. Additionally, because our ink is carbon negative, using a 45 pounds or 20.4 kilogram bucket of algae ink can remove 59 kilograms of carbon dioxide, which would be the equivalent of planting four trees. That kind of blew me away. You know, it really kind of like drove things home as well. But uh, yeah, maybe you could add to that a little bit.
1: Nice. I'm glad it resonated with you where, uh, you know, we need to, we need to improve our storytelling and marketing, but, but, I, but the facts are true. And it's, you know, I mean, that's the thing that, you know, again, it's been various epiphanies throughout the journey, right? You know, okay, what can you use algae for? Like, oh, well, maybe you can use them for pigments that are green or black or color. Okay. Well then how do you make it so it, you know, it fits into the real world printers? And one of these epiphanies that we had was with a professor at Colorado State University, where we said, let's do a carbon life cycle analysis. And he starts to like look at the analysis and he's like, This is how you, this is how you make a carbon negative material is you use a photosynthetic organism, whether it's algae or plant, that uses you know, basically sunlight as solar energy and removes CO2. And then you you go through our process to lock that carbon up. And you know, I remember talking to him, and he's like, This is actually exciting, you know, like you know, he doesn't always see good results on life cycle analysis because it's difficult because every time you use any energy to do anything, that all goes into that calculation. So I think what's interesting about this is that my take on the way that the world operates is that, you know, we should always just buy less, use less, drive less, like, and that's always been my mentality. And and I think that's probably a good, uh, you know, high level mentality. But when you start to get into carbon negative materials, the more of that material that you use, the better it is, right? So when we start saying, oh, we're going to start using, you know, a lot of this algae pigment to put, you know, as a pigment in a car bumper, for example, like that's beneficial on the carbon side of things. And I think that starts to get really exciting to to me. We're like, the more of this you use, the better, you know? So the way that I have been talking to brands about this is rather than running your business and making your products and going out there saying, let's go buy some external carbon credits. Let's start looking at supply chains of all these brands, plugging in carbon negative materials so that you don't need to go buy some random carbon credits, but you're saying I made X amount of iPhone cases. And by doing that, I removed X amount of metric tons of carbon dioxide. All of a sudden, like the system starts to look really different, I would say.
0: Yeah. Not only that too, I think from a consumer perspective as well, I think that's a clear sort of idea for people to understand, to wrap their minds around rather than this whole carbon credit. I mean, obviously that, that program can work and does work to a certain extent, but I think it's still unclear you know, for an average consumer who doesn't really fully understand and then in effect maybe doesn't fully embrace it, right? As an accepted ideology. Whereas what you were just explaining you know, that's something that that is simple and straightforward, you know, well, here's a product, well, X amount of this product was produced from product that can be reused or is grown as regenerative, in essence. And I think that it just, it would probably, again, this is outsider's perspective, but would resonate a little bit differently.
1: Yeah, I think that, you know, part of this in, you know, scientists historically haven't been great at this, but it's like, it is being creative. And it's not just doing it, but it's like storytelling, right? And trying to, and, and that gets you start talking, you're going into various disciplines, right? Marketing, innovation, science. I mean, there's just a lot of, and then you got the real world, like production and purchasing departments. Like it's all involved in doing this and making it happen, which is the complex part. I think what's really encouraging is that you're starting to see groups do this and starting to tell that story and getting better at it. No one wants to make claims that are not true. And I think people are being very cautious on that. And we're working with brands where they're very cautious and they're right to do so, right? We don't want that to be said. I will say that just by getting that concept across to people, whether it's going to save the world with our black pigment or not. I mean, it, it's, there's nothing that's going to just save that. And that solves everything. It's going to take a little bit of a lot of things, you know? And so when we first talking about ink, they were saying, you know, does that really have impact? And it really does because it's, at, everything's at such a large scale. And, you know, and even like the toothbrush that I use, it's all plastic, the bristles, you know, even there's petroleum in the toothpaste. I mean, everything, right? So everything needs to be tweaked. So I never belittle anyone, even if I see someone making something that's super small, that's sustainable, and there's a great story. I'm like, that's awesome. Because I think the other thing that people in brands don't always realize is that every company, at least most of the ones that I know in our shoes, have a really big vision in a couple of years, maybe 10 years, because it takes time to do these things. But you have to start somewhere. Like I was just at this conference and this group was talking about making a record, like a, a vinyl record from like hundred percent like sustainable like plastic material. And I just thought it was great because I know that entrepreneur and I know the vision is to like completely change the way the world's done. He's just starting with skis and final records because it's a very cool story that gets people engaged. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's got to start somewhere and then it gets bigger and bigger.
0: Well, this might be a nice point to, to segue into another question it is kind of connected here and it's in relation to, I guess, like the phrasing and terminology surrounding all of this and these ideologies. And, you know, sustainability is one, is a word that's been used over and over. And and some might even say it's getting a little bit worn out to a certain extent. There's been some buzzier words, you know, circular economies, uh, regenerative approaches that are kind of gaining traction. But I think where those are at is not everyone is fully, you know, clued into what they mean. In terms of, say, circular economies, I think that one is quite interesting. And I presume, you know, Living Ink fits nicely into all of that. But maybe it'd be interesting to hear it from you. Yeah, I I agree with you. I mean, I think, uh, you know, the challenge that we have at Living Inc. is
1: you were always trying to talk to people at the level that they're at. So if if we're talking to you as a brand, you know, sometimes if you're talking to sustainability, like they know all the terms and they want to hear it. You're talking to someone else and they're like, don't use that term because I don't know what that is. And so we're always trying to figure out who our audience is and and what they want to hear and what they understand. I do think sustainability is very nuanced, right? We could have a whole hour conversation about what does sustainability mean? because. We used to call up a brand and say, what are your sustainability initiatives? And they would say, you know, I don't really know. And I'd say, well, you've got biodegradability, you've got compostability, you care about carbon, you care about water, biodiversity. Right. And then we have to go and be like, oh, my gosh, like that's so you much to think about. Away, yeah, 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 yeah. By. And it's like it's it's overwhelming, even as a technical yeah. person who thinks about these things to be like, well, what what should we care about? You know, right. at Living Inc., you know, we've tried to avoid saying green or eco-friendly or even, you know, sustainable at times because, you know, our message right now is about carbon. We feel like that's the number one priority um, that groups care about and maybe should care about. And we've tried to keep that uh, concise. Um, we're also using waste products, you know, and and it's all bio-based. So there's all these kind of buzzwords that we can use, but yeah. identifying like what's the most concise and honest way to talk about it? But I do think, yeah, I see these new products released and it always says eco product, something or sustainable. And I'm always wondering like what was tweaked to make that truly Mm. eco or sustainable? Like Mm. what was, what, what is it? You know, it gets very complex very quickly.
0: (laughs) Yeah. No, most definitely. Most definitely.
1: I think circular economy is great. And the reason I like circular economy is it it makes all of us think about what does a circular economy mean? And and if that were if that phrasing alone makes people think about where the stuff that they use comes from and where it goes, then that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good thing to think about. You know, even when I used to fill up my car with gas, I used to say like, where did these molecules come from in the last year? And where do they come from 100, where were they hundred million years ago? Like what were they? Were they allergy that were, you know, and I mean it blows my mind, but you know, you start thinking about circular economy, it makes you think about
0: every molecule that you you touch throughout your day. Yeah, exactly. I was just speaking about all of this with another guest recently. He was explaining, you know, circular economies. And we were talking about this point of how the linear economy, which is what we're basically in is is relatively new, you know, 70, 80 years. And, you know, like our grandparents would never, never like, I'm, I'm just going to go buy some fast fashion, you know, T-shirts. I'll wear them three times and then throw them out. You know, like that, that ideology just did not exist. And it's funny how like in this short span of time, literally 70, 80 years, We've yeah. shifted. We've gone all in on it, and it's it's yeah, it's reprehensible. It's what it really is, to be honest, yeah. right? I mean, we yeah. need to yeah. we need to get back to that sort of model of like, well, okay, if we're yeah. gonna use it, one, we should keep it going as long as it yeah. can, and then how can we reuse it? How can we repurpose it? And that's basically yeah. for listeners who don't know, would be kind of the distinction between say a linear economy, which is just you're not using it very often, it's in the garbage yeah. almost immediately, versus circular. Yeah. These products, these, these things that we consider from the get-go, how they're produced, the materials that are within them, and then how we can continually use them once they break down, recycle them, reuse them. I'm probably slaughtering this definition here, but I think listeners are probably getting a, the idea here.
1: Yeah, I mean, the two things that come to my mind there is my grandparents. They didn't think of any of this as a sustainability thing, but, you know, they were alive when there was wars where you recycled every piece of rubber and aluminum and you reused everything and if the shirt ripped you would sew it so you fix it like that was that generation and then we're just we're not there right now I mean and so it's just really interesting when you exactly what you said you think about even generation ago two generations ago like it was just such a different world and how things were packaged and delivered and you know the other thing that comes to mind that I've been thinking about a lot is that um, I know there's groups working on this right now, but you know, what if you talked to like a like, like a manufacturing company that manufactured like laundry machines, and you said that like, when the life of this is done, you have to take it back, and you have to make those parts work in your other systems. There's just ways that you could set up the system, and it's complex because there's a lot of stakeholders in this, but. I don't think that even companies right now are, they don't have to deal with the downstream repercussions of a product that's built to not fit into that circular economy. So you have a washing machine that's not designed the right way. Well, the whole thing goes in the landfill, for example, versus, hey, this is really easy to use the parts that are still good and replace the one part that's needed. So, you know, it's such a systemic, there's these systemic changes that are needed. And then there's these short-term kind of like, what, what can we do in the short-term while these bigger political things are figured out
0: (laughs) Mm, mm, yeah it's really quite fascinating to kind of like dive into it all and the point at which we're at again returning to that point of like how things change so rapidly within two generations Mm -hmm. moving away you know from Mm -hmm. that ideal of reusing basically and fixing things up to where we're at right now or just use it a few times throw it out i think what gives me hope is that we're not that far removed from that ideology now the point of all of this now is to kind of return to that. And it is picking up steam. I mean, the fact that we're having a conversation about this right now, obviously, we're not the only yeah. two people on the planet that are thinking about this, right? I mean, there's yeah. several yeah. people in obviously with the industry that, uh, that you're involved with. There's a lot of yeah. chatter. There's a lot of discussion, a lot of companies that are trying to like scheme ways of building this into their plans. But you're right. I mean, it's going to take a lot more than just even companies. I mean, we, we need policy, we need incentives you know, from governments to kind of push these sort of ideologies along but uh i, I think there is some hope there when uh, when we do consider it all there's tons of hope i think i think i'm working with designers
1: right now at some brands that like give me hope to say okay they get to orchestrate what the product looks like what is it made out of right and there's always yeah. these logistics and scale questions, but the companies themselves um, are showing promising trends. And then the individuals within those companies are really driving a lot of this, I I think, right? I, this is what I want to do. And this is the projects I want to do. And I've even heard designers say like, I, you know, a couple of years ago, I didn't have this much freedom to do what I'm doing right now, right? Uh-huh. To, to design these different materials that they're using. So I think there's a lot of hope there. I think more than ever. But I think it takes all these stakeholders, right? It takes government, it takes corporate, it takes innovators, startup companies, consumers to actually care. And then for like people in creative and marketing to say to like help tell these stories to communicate. I mean, it all comes back to communication and really education. Like, you know, we've been talking in the cosmetics industry, and I said, you know, carbon black, which is the black pigment we're replacing that's made from heavy petroleum, is still in a lot of cosmetics. And when I tell people that, they're like, really? Like yeah. I put that right next to my eye. That's why, like, and, you know, these are people that have used that product a long time, right? So it's a lot of education communication. And I think you're spot on, you know, all these conversations, all these podcasts are really helping to stimulate the conversation, education.
0: Agreed. Agreed. As far as, um, I guess, that point about brands and some of the reactions to, you know, some of the things that you just raised, when they hear about your product, say for the first time, what's, what's the reaction like? Maybe you could kind of like consider that from, you know, two, three years ago versus say present day?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. It's, I think that one of the things that I've realized in this journey, it comes back to communication is showing what the product is, you know? And so one of my, if I could give any advice to people with an idea, it's to, you know, even if it's a drawing, like mock it up, like this is the vision, right? Mm -hmm. Because we don't, I don't think we quite we were so deep into like, can we de-risk this? Can we make it work? And the technology side, we kind of like ignored like, here's the vision, right? And you got two, de- you got companies that can do, you know, t- typically technical founders like we are, you dive in the technology and you prove it out. And then you have groups who are more on the creative side that say, i got this whole pitch deck of great images about the future of what we're going to do. And there's somewhere in the middle. So you're going to want to be working on the technology, but you also want to like tell a great story.
0: That fine because balance,
1: the first... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like, we were making this black liquid saying, we're making ink, you know, this is great. And everyone's like, I don't know what you're, what do you mean? Like, what are you making? And then we printed it on our first box for packaging and we show people the package and everyone's like, oh, you know, now I get what you're doing, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. and they just had to see that final product. And that goes for anything, you know, it's like, once we do it, an application, you know, it's one thing to say, we can do foam in your sole of your shoe. And people go, okay, you know, if you show them that prototype, they go, oh, that's what it is, you know? And it seems simple, but we're all very visual. We all like to see something and touch it. So we send samples out all the time, like, hey, we sell black ink that's more sustainable than ink that's already out there. And then people say, well, can you send me some samples? And we say, yeah, you know, and it's going to look like black ink, but people, they love it. They need to see it. They want to feel it. They want to smell it, right? So we've come a long ways in the different applications of the different kinds of samples that we can have. And then every brand project we work with, and this is where I think these brands and designers, I think, have a lot of power in this movement that we're talking about because, you know, the first Patagonia project that we did was like 10,000 prints. And so, you know, in, in general, we probably sold like $80 worth of ink for that project or something like that. But. The power that that had to show, it's a real product. It worked with the printer. It cleaned the same. It was less scary for other groups to start to use. And so that's what I keep telling these brands is don't think about this huge overhaul of your global black ink for us. I and mean, you we know, change on a hundred metric tons, like let's pick a project, let's knock it out. Let's be successful, build trust. And then if you love it, we'll go on to the next one and then other groups can do it. So uh, we kind of have that incremental approach. So I think people thought it was interesting three years ago, I think people say, you know, how do I get a sample and how do I get going on this? This is really not only interesting, but tangible.
0: Mm, yeah. One of the reasons for that question, I was curious about the one, the awareness, you know, from these brands themselves and how that might've changed, say within three years to where we're at right now, because there's been a lot yeah. that's going out there and obviously social media yeah. and content, everyone's trying to returning to this point of stories, right? Getting things out and positioning too. And I think it, it's... Almost, we're reaching that point, and I think we've also spoken about this, where people are starting to demand it. They want to know. They want to know what their brands are doing, their favorite brand, and if it aligns yeah. with their values or not. So, I was curious whether or not, say, within three, four, or five years, if you'd noticed a lot more general awareness from these brands themselves, and then also even just like the types of questions that they're asking you, their interest levels maybe shifting and changing out of necessity or just having some time to, to pause and rethink things.
1: Yeah, that's a, a great angle on that question of I think it's I think it's been massive in terms of the amount of energy I used to have to seek going off your one of your first questions I had to seek someone like hey find a packaging person at some brand be like do you think about ink they're like no like okay well what then, what is ink you know literally like, can you explain what ink is. Which I thought I was an outsider in the ink world, and then I had to explain what ink is to the packaging person been in the industry for a while. But it's, you know, they're busy. They're doing all sorts of these different things. Right. The factories typically would do with the ink, you know, and I would say that there's been a huge amount of energy and genuine learning and people reaching out to me saying, I just want to learn what's right to do and what's not right to do. How do we do better? What's feasible? So a ton of interest, everything from ink to pigments and all these other materials, right? Like I can can start pitching my materials. And then next thing I know, I'm like, hey, I should connect you with one of my friends doing this other group because if you're interested in that material. And so, yeah, it's a lot of interest all across the board. And I think that these innovation groups have really grown in the brands to say, we got to start trying these new materials. I don't think that was necessarily the case like five, mm. 10 years ago. It was just kind of yeah. like, we do what we do. you yeah. know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: yeah. That, that's kind of what I suspected. And again, that's just one of the things that gives me hope personally moving forward. It is just that. Tons. It's just Tons. that. Yep. Okay. Yep. Well, yep. as far as that goes, I mean, you already brought this up uh, Patagonia. I mean, that must've been a, a special moment in your company sort of history, in essence. I mean, they're one of the champions of the environment. More or less, you could consider them the king of that within consumer yeah, goods yeah. And, and really yeah. building that into yeah. their model. Now, when they yeah. give you that unofficial stamp of approval, what was that yeah. like? What was that like? Yeah,
1: no, it's, it's a great feeling. It's one of those things where, I mean, they really were great to work with as expected, and they really pushed it through. And, you know, even some of the partners that were working on the project, like You know the brand really has a lot of the control because they're the ones, you know, typically paying for things to get done. So they tell their partners, "Hey, I want to get this done." And you know, at that point, we were definitely a, a smaller company in Denver, and all of a sudden, we're working in like you know global supply chains, you know, and getting through compliance and all these things. It's it's a lot of work on probably their end and our end and the partners' end. But it was a very special moment because, you know, I think that. Anyone that spends years of their life working on something, it's it's like seeing it in the real world. It's like one of those moments where you're like, oh, like this is, you know, pretty cool. And um, I I know there's one more question maybe coming up about this, but it's just, you know, I I think that um, the moment of working with Patagonia was awesome. Just to engage and say, oh, my gosh, they're actually interested to using it and seeing it actually work and pass the trials and be on something. It was, yeah, super special personally and professionally. I bet. I bet.
0: One last question, actually, within this segment here, and it's kind of returning back to the beginning here, you know, your years in academia, you know, working within companies, and then shifting over into this world of entrepreneurship, We've spoken to this point already wearing several different hats in one day, you know, what has that yeah. been like? Maybe, maybe you could look at it from two angles, like one, like, what are the best parts about it? And then yeah, the flip yeah. side, or you can go in reverse, maybe, maybe let's go in reverse. Let's end on a positive here yeah. in terms of this question, yeah. you know, some of the challenging aspects of that for you yeah
1: I think the challenging aspects is I, I, I love learning. like I grew up in a family of like public educators. like we were always like learning and like having like our dinner conversations were like learning and tough conversa- critical conversations about the world, right? Like I love it. And we had this the first party we ever came up with at Living Inc was if we learn one thing a day, you know, it's a successful day. and if you do that year after year, you're learning a lot of things, right. I think wearing the many hats means that you're really not that great at any of them, but like, you're okay at like a lot of them, you know? So for me, it's like the, uh, you know, drinking from a fire hose. I always like kind of laugh at because it's just this knowledge coming at you and you're having to learn all these things so quickly yeah. And I think that's, I love learning. You know, when you learn too much at one time, it starts to become overwhelming. You know? True enough. Yeah. And like, what is the priority? You can make a case that there's four equally important priorities in one day, and they're all like maybe a little outside of your wheelhouse. The one thing that we've kind of gotten better at is not doing everything ourselves, which we did for a long time, but going out and finding the resources that are available to say, hey, we're not great storytellers. Let's go find someone that can help us do that. Hey, we're not great at doing compliance. Let's go find someone that we can work with that can help with all the safety data sheets and things like that. That's that's helped uh, mitigate the challenge there.
0: Mm. What's well, been kind of the joyous moments or what are the most yeah. joyous moments for you in, in running Yeah, this yeah.
1: Well, I think that, that, you know, part of part of the joy is learning, right? I, I love learning new things. I love meeting new people. I love thinking about things that I've never thought about, right? And almost like every week I get off a call and go, I've never thought about that problem or I've never thought about that industry. And I like, I love it. You know, I go into factories that are printing things and I'm like, this is crazy to see how the real world works, right? Like I kind of know how science works in some ways, but even then science blows my mind where I go to a conference and hear about something like that's no, crazy. Always changing I thought it I knew well, it's well, You think you've got to figure it figured yeah, yeah, out yeah. and then yeah. new tech yeah, comes yeah. along yeah.
0: and just makes what like, you just learned obsolete and there's something completely brand new. So, yeah, I yeah. know, I know,
1: I know, I know. So that's part of the joy though, is, is learning all these different things, getting, you know, I would have never thought that I could like manage my own accounting books for a couple of years, I don't do that anymore, but like I, I loved going into QuickBooks. I mean, like I get to like figure out these different categories. Like, I learned, like, now that I don't love it, I liked it, I got okay at it, and I said, That's awesome. So, now you know, what does it take to run a company? I've kind of done everything it takes mm. to do it, and I'm average uh, at all of them, <laughs> probably. <laughs> but you know, one of the joyous moments in terms of just moments that I can remember, and I think one of them was, you know, we worked with this printer called Eco Enclose in Colorado, who was our our first great partner. We called him up, talked to one individual who's like, you know, I pitched him on like, would you ever use a more sustainable ink? And they're like, oh, we're pretty happy with what we have. And our supplier said, okay. I went on LinkedIn, I found the owner of the business and I, you know, kind of gave him my pitch on LinkedIn and he said, call me when you have a second. So I called him, he's like, come in today and run your ink if you can. And he said, you know, we, we have to be the leaders in innovation and sustainability, and we want to work with groups like you who are pushing on that edge, which is a very, very unique stance when it comes mm. to a production factory that gets paid to just move volume and do things, right, right? right? And so he got us going and doing tests, and then he got us onto a brand called Bedrock Sandals, which is this really cool sandal company in the U.S., And I remember hearing that, like, oh, they might be in REI stores um, Mm. around here. And in Denver, there was the flagship REI store. So I went down one day and I... I went down there and I'm looking for. Uh, I think they had the sandal on display. I'm like, "Hey, do you have the box for these?" You know? and they're like, "Yeah, they're in the back." So they bring the box out, and I'm like, no, I don't know, you, "I'm not really interested in sandal. I'm just, I'm just really yeah. curious about this box here." Yeah, 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 that. exactly. And so like, I'm like, I'm like taking a picture with it. So I'm like, "Oh my gosh!" Like, you know, that's that entrepreneur moment of like all this hard work yeah. and brainstorming and trial and tribulation, and like it's the ink on the box that's in the REI store. And I'm talking to the person, and I'm like, "You know, this isn't even my Sando product." Uh, It's not even my cardboard product. I didn't even print the material. I'm not even the factory. Like that's the molecules of ink that we made that are on the box, you know. So, but um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's when these switches go off in your head of like, oh, like this is happening. We can do this, and this is just kind of the start of the vision that we have. So that was one of those real moments.
0: Yeah. Cool, cool. Well, on the heels of that, that's a really nice story. Um, We do have a segment here in the middle called uh, a water cooler story segment. Maybe I could ask you to, uh, to share one more if you got it.
1: Yeah, I, I I did that recently at the Patagonia store where, you know, I, uh, was like a proud parent, you know, it's same kind of story where I go in the store and I'm like looking around and I'm looking at what year the tag was printed. I'm like 2018. I don't think they were using us by then. Then I find them in like 2022. I'm like, Oh, I think, I think
0: this is us. And I'm like looking, <laughs> this is ours. And, uh,
1: yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and, Get the little uh, and selfie of, with the, uh,
0: the, <laughs> the hang tag there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And the store, you know, manager's like walking around and I'm like, you know, I'm like, this is, uh, my company's ink, you know? And she's like, what, like, tell, like what, you know? And I'm like, yeah, we, we turn algae into, into ink and, this is the ink that that you're all using here. And she's like, and it's a biased crowd, but she was like, that is the coolest thing I've ever heard. Like, tell me more about this. And, you know, very Patagonia interaction. Uh, so yeah, that, that kind of moment. Yeah. I, I think that uh, those are two high points, but you know, I, I, there's been a lot of moments where we made a screening and we actually just launched a screening product with, well, with American Eagle and Marmot, and then just, uh, just this week, Nike. And nice. there was a moment where we went in to develop that ink on like a Saturday morning and we're like, is this gonna work? And like, what you know, you're always thinking, am I wasting my time or is this worth pursuing? It's always the yeah. question. And I remember we, we made up some ink, we, we printed it and we stuck it in this little tiny oven that was definitely not meant to like cure ink for screen printing and like the shirt kind of caught on fire we like brought it out of the oven and then we're really like, we're like feeling it and we're like, well, I think it's sticking. You know, I think it's working, you know? And that was one of those, again, one of those moments in product development going like, I know what the vision is of this product. I know that this can be something, but you got to start somewhere. And this is like the start. That's a very real start. So yeah, those are some of the moments that stick out in my head.
0: Yeah. Those are cool. Really cool. Actually. Yeah. Thanks for sharing those. Yeah. All right. Well, we are. Oh, can I say,
1: can I say one more? I know sure we're in time. One more, but, yeah, so uh, look, this is just interesting from an innovation and kind of collaboration standpoint, but the first screen print we ever did, we had an ink that would actually grow over time to start living ink. Oh, it was a complex product. It was like living cells. And we worked with this designer, His name was Jared, and he just said, "You know what screen printing is? Like I really think this would be cool for screen printing. I'm like, I don't think you understand what we do. We do this living ink kind of thing. It grows and he just finally gave me the screen and the squeegee and said just just go play around in the lab and it was like super late one night and i before i left and i, I mix up some of this algae and i make it kind of thick and i had something and i put it through the screen and i lift up this screen and it was this i don't even know what the screen thing was it was like a, a picture of like an old man's face or something and i lifted up the screen and i was like oh my gosh like that's a print and i'm not a designer or a printer but i'm like that's yeah. a print like it worked you know yeah. and so I texted my team, I'm like, we like we have an ink product, you know? And uh, yeah, I just remember driving home and going like that is so cool. Not even from like, I mean, it's cool to use algae and make the print, but I just go like this these these interactions are cool, right? Yeah. Like when you start to work with a designer who's got a completely different skill set than yeah. you. Combining those two, like that's where that magic happens. And that's what gets me like excited.
0: No doubt. No doubt. Because that's, that's where like, it's taking these sort of like seemingly different spheres of say business in this case, like, that, like yeah. the crossover you wouldn't necessarily consider right off the bat. But then, when you start thinking about it, I'm like, well, yeah, it makes complete sense, and yeah. I'm sure there's probably a million other sort of like applications out there that you haven't even considered just yet. And once they sort of like pop into your mind, just like that, or like through that experience, yeah. it must blow you away. It must sort of yeah. like get the the juices flowing, if you will.
1: It's fun, and it makes me just want to like talk to people, right? I mean, a lot of yeah. good things happen when you're at your desk thinking, but you know, I would say 90% of the things that like really move the needle living ink, it's all about people, whether it's internal or external, just people communicating, doing things, learning from each other. Like it's just a lot of interactions.
0: Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. Thanks for sharing all those stories. And we're heading into the final segment and it's something called the crystal ball segment. As the name implies, we're looking towards the future. Usually it's trends and predictions. And I have one last question here, and this is kind of centered on our talk and To be quite honest, I'm sure maybe, well, maybe not in your world necessarily, but at least in mine at times, like there is a lot of doom and gloom when it comes to, you know, considering the climate crisis and for good reason, obviously, right? There's a lot of things that are going on still that aren't, that aren't really taking into account just uh, the the moment that we're in and the changes that we need to make. Still a lot of companies that are still following that sort of status quo. They're not using the science. They're not using a lot of these evolving technologies quite frankly like really refreshing like most of our talk i think has been more on that side of positivity and yeah, you know a yeah. lot of hope and everything else but that's that's yeah, super yeah. important too you know like yeah, it's so easy yeah. to get caught up in this doom and gloom so yeah. keeping you know with the theme of this talk i mean what gives you i guess the most hope and optimism moving forward and based off what you're seeing based off these conversations that you've had with all these people whether it's within your your team or at conferences or elsewhere background in science, what, what fuels this optimism for you personally?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think what fuels the optimism is, you know, I know there's a lot of great stuff going on in science. I know there's a lot of scientists who are driving hard. I think there's probably, I don't know, I don't know the statistics, but I mean, there's got to be. I mean, it just seems like there's a lot of entrepreneurship going on, and that that includes outs out of universities. I mean, there's really a focus on this. It's like not not about even just like the a, a for-profit business, but just getting things out in the world. Like I think there's probably more focus on that right now than there's been in my you know f- fifteen twenty years of being in academia or you know in the science world. That's encouraging from a technology standpoint and kind of an application standpoint. I think what gives me the most hope is that like people are like talking about it. Like I, I open up like the New York times and it's just like every day, there seems like there's like a, you know, conversation on climate and, and really thinking about the facts. And like, I don't think that was the case five years ago as much, right. There was always these higher level topics coming up and things like that. So I think the, the the fact that people are talking about it is good. And then, you know, again, these interactions with brands, like I interact with people that like really do care, you know, and they are people who like understand, that they want things to be done differently. You know, sometimes it's difficult in the system that they're in or things like that. But when you have enough of these people who are like, I believe in this and I want to do it, you know, I think that like the Nike t-shirts is a great example If you have people who are like, I'm not taking, the, I'm not going to go work with the large company that's going to deliver perfectly on time. And they're going to be easy. They got the, I want to work with this company that's doing really difficult things and work with them to help them get this out. Like to me, that's a really promising and hopeful kind of Indicator of how things are going. And that, you know, Nike's obviously one of the, the biggest apparel brands in the world. So if they're doing things like that, I can only imagine what they'll be doing in the next five, 10 years. And then, you know, what these other groups will be doing, let alone the Patagonians of the world, right? Who right. are, you know, you can drop off clothes, they fix it. They'll let, you know, it's just like they're setting these trends that are yeah. people like it. You know, I think they're becoming way more, you know, they're driving revenue because everyone's like, I love what you're doing. I love right. what your mission's about, right? So mm-hmm. more and more of that, I think.
0: Yeah, most definitely. And really quickly, I'd just like to add as well in terms of Nike. I mean, it's great what they're doing and the experience that uh, that you explained of working with them um, right now. But also, too, it's interesting how like if they adopt this, that automatically puts pressure on all these other companies in their sphere as well that they've got to follow suit now.
1: Yeah, yeah. Not at times.
0: You know, it really does put pressure yeah, on yeah, them yeah. too, which is again, that's yeah, yeah, that yeah. type of pressure is probably a good thing, right? That's that's yeah, what we need. Yeah. We need this yeah. full so- adoption.
1: Some of it's like a, a domino effect, right? Like one group uses it, and then you know the, the the phrase we always have we always have in these kind of innovator circles is nobody wants to be first, yeah. and nobody wants to be third. You know, everyone loves to be second because it's like, hey, you de-risked it, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. hey, I get to be, I get to tell I'm the still, story, right? Yeah, an early <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So you know, I think that you know, again, even if it's a small Patagonia ten thousand prints, like you know, enough of those with these different technologies, it starts to change the, exactly what you said, puts pressure on other groups to say, this is real. There's really no excuse not to adopt this for various product lines.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. Well, I mean, this has been a really fun talk, Scott. I really enjoyed it. I mean, you've shared a lot of insights, a lot of stories, and I think listeners are really going to enjoy it, kind of give them a different perspective. And the thing that struck me over the course of this talk as well, I've already brought this up once, but, you know, is more on the positive side of things, you know, where we we, we didn't go so deeply into the doom and gloom, which I think also is incredibly important to do, right? It's too easy to go down that path. There's enough evidence of what we're doing wrong. It's nice to focus on all the good things and what we're doing right and uh, to feel a little optimistic moving forward. So yeah, thanks so much for taking some time and coming on the show.
1: I appreciate it. It's good to, to share the optimism and the realism. And I think uh, I think good things are happening. They got to happen faster, but it really is. It is happening. So it's good.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Well, for those interested in learning more about Scott and his work, you can find him on LinkedIn. He's also on Instagram, his company, Living Ink Technologies on Instagram, Twitter, all the major social platforms. And of course, you can go to his website, Living Ink Technologies. And for reference, all this information will be included in the show notes. Also, too, if you like today's show, please be sure to share. I mean, I think it's a great thing when we learn a little bit more about one another. The stresses, the joys, the pressures, all of that stuff. I mean, I think it, it allows for empathy to take place and it lessens that divide or tribalism, if you will. Also, too, be sure to rate, review and subscribe wherever you access your podcast. And finally, head on over to YouTube. We recently launched a channel over there where you can check full video episodes of conversations like the ones we had today with Scott. And the interesting thing here is that there will be a slideshow of imagery associated with the talk, which can add a different layer of perhaps enjoyment to all of it. If you do go over there, you'll notice we do need a bit of love. Hit that subscribe button. It'll help more than you can know. And then finally, don't forget to join us on the next episode of Life as a, where we'll continue to explore and unearth the details of professions around the world. I'm your host, Christopher Schoenwald. Until next time, stay curious about life and living we